Okay, guys, I want to talk about uh, an aspect of the mass shooting in Highland Park that the mainstream media and the left, and oddly enough, even a lot of people on the right are, do not seem interested in talking about. And this is another common factor in mass shootings. We have the factor that always exists, the fact that these, these young men, these deranged young men come from broken families. But there's another aspect that seems to be always present in these young men before they commit these egregious acts of violence. And that factor is marijuana use. And I want to discuss this. I know this is very controversial. I know that everyone on the left is outraged by the idea that marijuana isn't just a stoner drug, that it doesn't just make you chill. And even some on the right don't want to talk about this. But the studies and the data are extremely interested, extremely pertinent. And if we as a nation are truly interested in stopping these shootings and stopping this evil before it 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 harms and kills our countrymen, then we need to talk about this. So let's talk about that tonight. But before we do that, um, I want to talk just a little bit. So I went home to Cincinnati this past weekend for Independence Day. It's it's a holiday that my family from all over the country, we all try to come to my parents' house. It's super fun. It's my favorite holiday of the year, partially because I love America, partially because it's close to my birthday. I love the summer. I love Ohio. And um, one of our annual traditions, and this, this has become an annual tradition just in recent years, we obviously attend the Independence Day Parade. Typically, my mom actually has a float in the 4th of July Parade. I'm not always able to walk with it because, you know, I was pregnant one year and then the next year I had a little baby. Um, now I have a one-year-old, so it's not exactly a conducive situation for me to participate in the parade. But I watch the parade and my dad watches the parade with us. Um, and in recent years, he's taken to heckling the politicians that walk in the parade. Now, understand the context of this. My parents live in Ohio. They live outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, in a place called Hamilton County. Now, you may recognize that name because Hamilton County is the swing district, not just in Ohio, but in the entire country. A lot of elections come down to what, which way Hamilton County swings. And so you go to these Fourth of July parades, and they're very political because the national candidates know that they have to that they have to participate in these parades because these voters are the voters deciding the outcome of, of presidential and Senate, and well, obviously Senate races, but presidential races and then down ballot races in the entire country. So we're sitting on the side, uh, we're sitting on the side of the road, we're sitting in the apron of some guy's yard, um, watching the parade go by. And first, J.D. Vance walks by. He's the Senate candidate in, in Ohio, the Republican candidate. And even though he's a Republican, which means I assume my parents are going to vote for him because they're a Republican, my dad, you know, heckles him and says, stay conservative, we'll be watching you, which cracks me up. I don't know if my dad does it because it entertains me so much. Then Steve Shabbat walks by. And Steve Shabbat is generally conservative, but he voted in favor of this so-called bipartisan gun control bill that just passed um, into law. And my dad goes, you're not representing your constituents with that gun control bill. And Steve Shabbat goes, answers him because he's, you know, two feet away. And he goes, oh, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a good bill, the right vote. And my dad goes, well, your voters didn't think so. <laughs> and then we have the Democrat that walks by. And my dad, as I said, heckles candidates on both sides of the aisle here. Then the Democrat walks by. The Democrat float. This is Tim Ryan for Senate. Tim Ryan, as you know, very radical left. He's like, he's like on the, uh, a good comparison is like Eric Swalwell on gun control. Tim Ryan is completely bought off by these gun control, these anti-Second Amendment lobby groups. And the, the float, the Tim Ryan float comes by and this woman from the float comes over to our group and says, do you guys want stickers for Tim Ryan for Senate? And I actually responded to her because she was trying to hand it to my child. And I said, LOL, no, we're conservative. And she looks at us because we're this big group. And she goes, all of you, you're all conservative. 
And I was like, yeah, we're all conservative. And she goes, oh, get out, get out. And then she looks at my husband who was standing right behind me and she goes, I should have known because you're wearing a red American flag t-shirt. <laughs> and my husband goes, yeah, patriotism is a dead giveaway that you're a Republican. <laughs> and I could not believe that she said this. And then my husband just cracked, this cracked me up. He goes, yeah, don't mistake me for a Democrat. And this is, like I said, it's becoming part of our family tradition. We're just sitting there celebrating America and these Democratic politicians heckle us for being patriotic. Um, it, was a it was a really fun time and I love it. And it really is being, being at a parade in Hamilton County, Ohio, in this swing district really is a reminder that for all the cynicism and all the problems with our election system, which do exist, your vote really does matter. And these politicians know that even in Hamilton County, Ohio, a place that a lot of people haven't visited and a lot of people maybe haven't even heard of, every person's vote actually matters to the outcome of our country. And what a fun, what a fun time um, to, be, to be involved in that. Okay, but let's talk, let's talk a little bit about this mass shooting and the correlation between violence and marijuana. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Okay, if you're like me, then you are growing more and more concerned about your future, the future of our country. This is why I like American Hartford Gold, because inflation is at its highest level in 40 years. Interest rates are skyrocketing, and market experts like Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, not only predict a recession in our future, they're actually using terms like economic hurricane and unprecedented. Now, if you want to protect your future from this, Call the only precious metal dealers that I trust, American Hartford Gold. They can show you how to protect your savings and retirement accounts by diversifying your portfolio with physical gold and silver. All it takes to get started is a short phone call and they'll have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or perhaps inside your IRA or 401k and they make it easy. They are the highest rated firm in the country with an A plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. If you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 866-781-7499. That's 866-781-7499. Or if you prefer text messaging, you can text the word Liz, L-I-Z, to 65532. Again, the phone number is 866-781-7499. Or you can text Liz, L-I-Z, to 65532. Okay, before we get into the, the mass shooter and this, this correlation between violence and marijuana, Alex Berenson, our good friend, friend of the show, um, has been one of the predominant voices reporting on the truth about COVID-19, from vaccines to hospitalizations to, um, to masks to lockdowns. Alex Berenson has been a contrarian um, to the mainstream narrative from the beginning. And I say that as a compliment, a contrarian, not for the sake of being a contrarian, but because the mainstream narrative is dominated by Fauci and the CDC and Big Pharma and Joe Biden. And it's all corrupt. We all know that. Alex Berenson was banned from Twitter last fall because he tweeted something negative about the COVID-19 vaccine. This is what he tweeted last year that got him banned. He tweeted, quote, it doesn't stop infection or transmission. Don't think of it as a vaccine. Think of it at best as a therapeutic with limited a limited window of efficacy and terrible side effect profile that must be dosed in advance of illness. And we want to mandate it insanity. 
So for that reason, Alex Berenson was completely banned from Twitter. He had over a quarter million followers and Twitter just smacked him down. They said, you're done, you're permanently suspended. And in response to this, Alex Berenson sued Twitter because he suspected that this was um, that that he was targeted because he he's not a Republican actually so it's not it's not so much that he's conservative it's the fact that he isn't deferring to the so-called experts the World Health Organization the CDC and the Biden administration he he suspected and rightly so that there was collusion to ban him and that this was unfair enforcement and he also suspected that the government um, may have been involved in directing or prompting or encouraging Twitter to ban him because he was such he is such a powerful voice in this COVID-19, in this COVID-19 debate or this COVID-19 cover-up on the part of the Biden administration. So fast forward to now, and Alex Berenson actually settled with Twitter. It's not something he was originally planning to do. He said he wanted to go to Discovery, he wanted to um he wanted to depose some of Twitter's employees to get them to admit that they did target him and target him unfairly and suspend him based on his viewpoints and not because he broke any terms of service. He settled with Twitter, which came as a surprise to a lot of people because he said he wouldn't, but this is why. This is the official statement from, it's a joint statement from Twitter and Alex Berenson. It says, quote, the parties have come to a mutually acceptable resolution. I, Alex Berenson, have been reinstated. Twitter has acknowledged that my tweets should not have led to my suspension at the time. Wow. When I read this, I thought, oh my goodness, Alex Berenson must have had the goods on Twitter because if he got Twitter to actually acknowledge that his tweets should not have led to a suspension originally, then there's something that Twitter really, really, really did not want the public to see communications between Twitter employees, perhaps communications between Twitter and government employees. This is this is the first time that someone who is either a contrarian voice, an independent voice, or someone on the right who has been unfairly suspended and, and banned from Twitter has gotten reinstated in this way. This is the first time. This is a really, really big deal. Berenson also said in, in relation to the government and the possibility that the government was involved in encouraging Twitter to ban him, he said, quote, the settlement does not end my investigation into the pressures that the government may have placed on Twitter to suspend my account. I will have more to say on that issue in the near future. I made a promise to my readers last month and I take my promises to readers seriously. Now, after he, after Alex Berenson got back on Twitter and he, and he tweeted these statements, Elon Musk jumped into the fray and he asked, can you say more about this, quote unquote, pressures that the government may have placed on Twitter? And Berenson says, I can't say more about that now, but stay tuned. This, I can't understate, or I can't, I, 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 I can't overstate what a big deal this is because it shows us that Twitter does have something to hide and that they're afraid of lawsuits like this. Um, and they're admitting that they, that they're banning things, not, not, not they're banning words spoken by people, but the words they're banning unfairly because they don't want those words to be spoken. This could be the beginning of a really significant shift in how Twitter operates. If, if, they are vulnerable to lawsuits like Alex Berenson. So I, for one, am delighted to see this. It wasn't my initial preference that Alex Berenson settle this lawsuit because I wanted all of the depositions from Twitter employees to be made public. But if this, lawsuits aren't always, don't always end ideally. And this is certainly a win, both for the people that donated to Alex Berenson and every conservative, every contrarian, every science-based, science-minded individual um, 
on on Twitter, and I am glad to see him back. Also, Alex Burns in his first tweet back. Guess what he tweeted? This is this is such a it's it's such a baller move to do this. He tweeted as his first tweet back the exact same thing that he tweeted last year that got him that got him banned in the first place. It doesn't stop infection or transmission. Don't think of it as a vaccine. Think of it at best as a therapeutic with a limited window of efficacy and terrible side effect profile that must be dosed in advance to illness. And we want to mandate it insanity. That was his first tweet back. And I I love it so much. Welcome back, Alex Berenson. We are glad to have your voice back in the cesspool that is Twitter. Please continue to contribute your um, science. Now, on, on the opposite side of reason and logic, we have Kamala Harris. And Kamala Harris recently commented on the mass shooting that happened at the Independence Day parade in Highland Park. And I mean, we sit here and we not not criticize, we observe or we acknowledge that Joe Biden is off his rocker, that Joe Biden is a walking vegetable, that he has dementia, that he's just simply out of his mind, that he's 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 being manipulated by a puppet master. And we blame this on his age because he's so old and Joe Biden didn't always act like this, although he did always say terrible things and he was always very prone to to gaffes and he always had terrible policy. We blame this on age, but what is Kamala Harris's excuse for acting the exact same way? We gotta take this stuff seriously, as seriously as you are because you have been forced to have to take it seriously. The whole nation should understand and have a level of empathy to understand that this can happen anywhere in any peace-loving community stand together and speak out about why it's got to stop. Thank you. Madam Vice President. Thank you. Who's not taking this seriously? Who is not taking this seriously? And who is suggesting that we shouldn't be stopping this? Kamala Harris acts exactly how Joe Biden acts, like a sleepwalking vegetable who is is spewing this mindless word salad. And yet, what is Kamala Harris's excuse for this? She's not 150 years old like Joe Biden is. What is her excuse for this? If, if, If you want to actually take this seriously, if you want to take seriously this reality that we are facing a spate of mass shootings in our country and that we need to figure out a way, aside from buying into the the false narrative coming from the left that guns are the problem, if you actually want to figure out a solution, then then you need to acknowledge, you need to investigate, you need to identify the commonalities in all these shootings. What are the factors that lead young men of this demographic, young men in our country to commit these kind of these kind of atrocious acts. And it's people like Kamala Harris who stands there and lectures us about taking this seriously who are unwilling to actually address the commonalities, these factors that seem to lead young men into violence like this. Now, by the way, before I forget this, um, in Washington, D.C. on uh, the week of July 25th to July 30th, I will be speaking at the Young America's Foundation National Conservative Student Conference. This is a conference I absolutely love. It is for college students. And I've spoken at this conference before. This group of students are the future leaders of our country. It's my honor to speak to them. And this year, I'm going to be joined by Congressman Chip Roy, by Molly Hemingway of The Federalist, by Andrew Clavin, Vice President, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, Betsy DeVos, Governor Scott Walker. The slate, uh, this lineup of speakers is so incredible. If you are a college student or you know a college student who wants to attend, you can use my promo code L-I-Z and you can get half off of your tuition to this conference. Just go to yaf.org slash events. Tuition is actually only $150 to begin with. 
very affordable, very inexpensive. But if you use my promo code Liz, you can get half off of that tuition, yaf.org slash events. There's only a few spots left. So you're going to want to either send that to a college student that you know, or quickly go over and sign up yaf.org slash events. And that is, I believe, in two weeks from now. So it's coming up very soon. But back to Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris is ignoring two of the primary factors that almost always exist in in the background of these mass shooters. The first the first one the first factor that exists 100% of time is broken families. I've talked about this extensively and I will not stop talking about this until politicians who create public policy in our nation and cultural forces meaning you and me Um, until we take this seriously enough to understand that when you come from a broken family, when a a mom and dad are either unmarried, whether they were married and divorced, whether they are mentally ill, whether they are absent, whether they are unwise, whether they don't oversee their children, when there is some kind of brokenness inherent to these families, it allows evil, the kind of evil that would motivate a young man to commit an atrocity to fester. The family is the bulwark against, an institutional bulwark against this kind of evil. When there are red flags that exist in these young men, it can't be the government. It can't even be institutions like the school system or even communities or churches. Those are secondary institutions that if something slips through the crack, maybe maybe one of those institutions, people that run those institutions could identify red flags. But the primary institution that must identify the risk factors, the red flags in these troubled young men are moms and dads, our immediate families. And until we start recognizing that and doing something about it, we're going to continue to see this kind of evil unleashed on our people. Now, the the other factor that's at play here, and I know this is really controversial, a lot of conservatives are even hesitant to, to talk about this because for the last 30 years, we have been inundated in our country by propaganda propaganda from the marijuana industry telling us that marijuana is harmless, that it just gives you a chill. It just, you know, cools your vibe, that it's not at all. It doesn't, it doesn't predispose you to violence. It doesn't cause psychosis, that it's not, it's not a hard drug. It's not a gateway drug. We've been inundated by propaganda from the medical marijuana industry, which has, has, has stood to make make billions and billions of dollars in profit through legalizing, first through this this limited legalization structure, just medical marijuana, even though we all know that that's a crop. Anybody could get a card for medical marijuana for any kind of complaint. It was just this this gateway, if you will, if you don't mind the word play, uh, this gateway into marijuana legalization. And for 30 years, you and I and our country have been inundated in propaganda telling us that marijuana is okay. Marijuana is not okay. All of this propaganda is in direct contradiction to the studies and the medical information about cannabis that shows that the impact cannabis has on the minds of young people does indeed lead to psychosis and violence. And it is a gateway drug into not only abuse, uh, abuse of others, abuse of self, and it leads to opioid addiction. This is what I want to talk about today because this 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 suspect or this alleged mass shooter Bobby Cremo the 3rd was a stoner. He he had incidents in his background that were red flags. Police were called to his house twice in 2019 just 3 years ago and the first time that they came to his house it was because he had threatened to commit suicide. His family called the police, the police arrived at his house. They they dealt with that. There's no official charge related to that. It's, it's suicide, and this is actually how it should be in the law. If you attempt to commit suicide, that's not something that's part of a permanent record that would forever prohibit you from 
um, obtaining a firearm. That's not something that we as a society have deemed um, have deemed appropriate to depriving you of your Second Amendment, your constitutionally protected Second Amendment right for life. And that is how it should be. It can, in the immediate, in the immediate um, time around that threat of suicide, it can be caused to have your firearms confiscated if you are an immediate danger to yourself, but not permanently. So first time the police were called to Bobby Cremo's house in um, 2019, that's why. The second time the police were called, it was because this individual threatened to kill everyone threatened to kill his entire family. And this, this is the situation where that needs to be examined because it's this situation that allowed this individual to fall through the cracks and later legally obtain a rifle. Now, I like Be More Organics because it does the trick when it comes to sleepless nights, which I think we have all experienced. Did you know that getting poor sleep can cause weight gain? mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity. If you sleep less than six to seven hours per night, that can be linked to reduced white blood cell count. And not many people realize this, but having a consistent nighttime routine is so important to your body's health. Well, a better tomorrow starts tonight. Introducing Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything. And today, you get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product. It's called Dream Powder. It's their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream. And 99% of people experience better sleep quality. You just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir it, and enjoy 30 minutes before bedtime. You will find out why it's trusted by the world's top athletes like Danica Patrick and Baker Mayfield. And if you don't love it, you can get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, you can get $20 off if you use my URL. It's beamorganics.com slash Liz. And use my promo code Liz at checkout. That's B-E-A-M organics.com slash Liz. And use promo code Liz at checkout for $20 off. Beamorganics.com slash Liz. Okay, so the second time police were called to Bobby Cremo III's house in 2019, it was because he threatened to kill his entire family, threatened to kill everyone. At that time, police removed 16 knives from the home, a dagger and a sword, and the police filed a police report about this. Now, my initial reaction to this, and maybe you experienced the same thing, was, okay, well, why wasn't this something that came up on his background check? Because when this individual purchased a firearm legally in the state of Illinois, he was required to undergo a background check. The state of Illinois has very strict gun regulations, very strict gun laws. They're one, they're, they're actually one of the, the states that have embraced gun control in the harshest sense in the entire country. So it seems like, okay, well, that should be a case study then. The state of Illinois should be a case study in um, identifying whether gun control laws actually prevent atrocities like this? Do gun control laws actually prevent gun violence? And one of the things that the left has done for a long time is they say, well, the reason that Chicago is so violent, the reason that there's so much gun violence in downtown Chicago isn't because of, isn't because gun control laws make people less safe, which they do. This is just the left's talking point. It's because guns are brought in from other states nearby, like the state of Indiana, which has more conservative pro-Second Amendment gun laws. That's not an excuse that can be used in this situation because Bobby Cremo III purchased a firearm legally in the state of Illinois. He passed the background check that he was required to undergo. So how did that happen? How did he pass that background check when police had been called to his house twice? Well, the suicide doesn't, doesn't work against you. In, in the case of purchasing a firearm in the future when it's when it's this far removed from the incident. But a threat to kill everyone should 
be a reason that should result in a conviction that would show up as 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 a disqualifier for purchasing purchasing a gun. Well, the reason that it isn't a disqualifier in this case, or it wasn't a disqualifier in this case, is because his family did not press charges, even though they considered this to be a credible enough threat that they called law enforcement on their son. They did not press charges. And because the family ignored the red flags of this individual, he was then able to pass a background check. In fact, his father signed off on on a necessary legal paperwork structure, essentially, that allowed him to purchase a firearm and pass a background check. When broken families exist, they allow deranged individuals to fall through the cracks. Individuals that are prone to violence, that have shown red flags. The best bulwark against people like these are a strong nuclear family unit. And once again, a broken family not only exists here, but was the reason why these red flags weren't identified and this behavior wasn't addressed before it escalated into violence. And the second area of this is, of course, his marijuana use. In, in the wake of this shooting, there were posts on both Twitter and Reddit about Bobby Cremo. Now, Bobby Cremo was um, in Highland Park, Illinois. He was a part of the local rap scene he was a local rapper. And there, were, there was a user on Twitter who goes by the username One Cow Tools. This, this individual, after posting this tweet, locked down their Twitter account because this was getting um, attention. But this is what One Cow Tools tweeted. He said, hi, I knew Awake the Rapper. Awake the Rapper was Bobby Cremo's rapper name. He said, I knew Awake the Rapper, Bobby Cremo. We used to make music together around 2015 to 2018. He's not Antifa. He's not some mega overlord. I know that bleep sounds really interesting, but it's not the truth. He was an isolated stoner who completely lost touch with reality. And this is maybe the most interesting part, the most critical piece of information in identifying the motive and what caused this individual to commit this egregious act of violence. And we have to identify the motive. I know there are a lot of people, a lot of individuals, a lot of news organizations and publications who don't want to talk about manifestos. They don't want to talk about ideology. They don't want to talk about the shooter themselves. And to me, that's completely insane because if we don't identify the ideology and the motivation and the manifesto and and look at the totality of the person, how are we going to identify these contributing factors that led to this violence? And if we don't identify these factors, how do we put a stop to this? This is the most critical piece of information. He was an isolated stoner who completely lost touch with reality. Then over on Reddit, there was the same, there was a conversation with other individuals who knew him. And this is the conversation. These individuals say, I literally have a song with this guy. What the F? And then someone else says, did he seem off to you at all when you were working with him? And the response is, he just seemed like a typical stoner kind of guy at the time. Well, my question is, what is a typical stoner guy? Look at the pictures of this guy that exist online on his social media accounts from when he started his social media presence to present day. You can see the impact that marijuana, that this drug had on this individual. He, I mean, there's a reason that we say he looks like a stoner. Well, what does a stoner look like? They're skinny, they're pale, 
They have vacant, flat eyes because this drug has an incredible impact on the brains of individuals who use it. And we know this. This is the thing. We actually know this. We've known this for probably hundreds, if not thousands of years. Certainly in the last decades, we've known this. We know that marijuana is not a harmless drug. It's not, it's not equal to alcohol. We know that marijuana is extremely dangerous and we ignore it. Now, two things that are really important to me online are privacy and safety. That's why I like Incogni. Thousands of companies are collecting, aggregating, and trading your personal data without you knowing anything about it. Creepy, right? Well, the good news is you have the right to request data brokers to delete what information they have about you and protect your privacy. The bad news is it would take you years to do it manually. The best news is, in, is Incogni can do the messy work for you automatically. Incogni helps you protect your privacy and take your personal data off the market by reaching out to data brokers on your behalf, requesting your personal data removal, and dealing with these companies' objections. Most often, these data brokers hold your name, your email address, your home address, your phone number, even the names of your relatives, your social security number, your employment history, your shopping habits. I told you, very creepy. You need Incogni. I love it, and I know you will too. The first 100 people to use my URL, incogni.com slash Liz Wheeler, and use promo code Liz Wheeler to get 20% off Incogni. Protect your privacy today. Go to incogni.com slash Liz Wheeler and use code Liz Wheeler to take your personal data off the market. Today's video is sponsored by Incogni. We have known from almost the beginning of our awareness of marijuana, that marijuana, cannabis, is a dangerous drug. Think about the history of our country. Think about in, in our, 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 our re, even, even the recent history of our country, since the advent of the television, there have been PSAs after PSAs about how destructive marijuana is to youth. Even the American Medical Association knew this. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Such are the myths concerning marijuana, myths that lull thousands of young people into experimenting with a noxious weed. The facts are otherwise. Marijuana is an intoxicating, mind-muddling drug its use can lead to abnormal behavior, to psychological dependence, and to abuse of other drugs. The human brain, after all, is made for thinking, not fumigating. It's hardly a tinker toy for experimenting with drugs. This has been the public service message of the American Medical Association and your local station. Maybe that was before the American Medical Association was completely co-opted by the marijuana industry. But the, the fact of the matter is, this, this PSA was from decades ago. We knew all along, we've known all along that marijuana is extremely dangerous. And a lot of people will say, well, what about just, you know, just getting a, just getting a little hit, just getting a little high. Um, you know, people in the, in the 1970s did just fine in the 1960s, you know, this didn't happen then and marijuana use was prevalent. And that's true to a certain extent, but it's, it's, it, we're dealing with an entirely different situation now because the amount of THC, which is obviously the active ingredient in, um, in marijuana that gives you the high 
has is not even comparable to what it was in the 1960s or 1970s. Um, they're five percent, ten percent higher today compared to even just 20 years ago, and that makes a difference. Higher potency has obviously um, a, a, an impact that is correlated to to the amount of THC that that is in the product that you are either ingesting or smoking or however you are. Um, however, you are using this drug. I mean, we we've we've known not just that that your brain is meant for thinking, not for fumigating, which is my favorite line from that PSA. We've known exactly what this does to the connections in your brain for a really long time, and we're just ignoring this. But the warnings were always there. Your brain is a marvel of technology, but when you take drugs. You alter your brain. You change thinking patterns. You distort perception. And eventually, your brain just won't be the same. Think about it while well, you still can. How many of you remember that PSA? How many of you? Anybody who is older than Gen Z Anybody who is maybe on the older side of the millennial generation, certainly Gen X and the boomers, you remember that commercial because that was a commercial, that was a PSA that everyone saw, everyone saw the brain's wires being snipped. And it, it's a very powerful commercial. It's also very accurate. The, 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 what's happened between those PSAs and now is there's been incredible money from leftist um, organizations and donors, yes, like George Soros, that have that have flowed to this marijuana lobby, this industry whose sole purpose was to legalize marijuana, even for recreational use. And when I say George Soros, this is not an empty, oh, George Soros must have funded it. No, no. There's an organization called the Drug Policy Alliance um, whose goal was to legalize marijuana. George Soros gave $100 million to fund initiatives in states across the country to, to legalize medical marijuana and then legislation to legalize marijuana even for recreational use. This is, we have been inundated with not just propaganda, but, but money backing this, this effort to legalize marijuana. And as, as is true in many leftist causes, what happens in order for them to convince people to get on board with their agendas, they have to lie to us. They tell us, oh, marijuana's safe. It doesn't cause psychosis. It doesn't lead to violence. It, it's not addictive and it's not a gateway to opioids. But if you look at, if you look at the studies, if you look at the science, this is not true. Every single thing the marijuana lobby, the legalized marijuana activists have told us is actually a lie. Even in the case of medical marijuana, by the way, medical marijuana was the way that that these activists got on, got, got even people who were against marijuana for recreational use, got them to say, well, I guess if it helps people, we want to legalize this as, as a medication, as a pharmaceutical. And it was a brilliant strategy because it worked. It got a lot of people who didn't, who didn't agree with uh, kids smoking pot in the basement to say, well, if you have a medical problem, then it can help. Even that was a lie. There was a review of 14, um, of, of, of 14 cases of violence. And these, this, these, this violence was committed by chronic marijuana users, um, who had pre-existing conditions and who had been prescribed or allowed to use marijuana for it ostensibly to treat this medical condition that they suffered for to alleviate their symptoms. And the study showed that it actually worsened their symptoms over time. 
So even this idea that marijuana can be used for medical purposes is, I mean, it, it's been widely debunked in the scientific literature, but you won't hear that from the American Medical Association and, um, and, and, and big pharma and the CDC and the FDA, they all say, oh, it, it's a legitimate, it's a legitimate medical thing. That's not even taking into account the fact that now that we have legalization of marijuana in so many states, even for recreational use, the medical marijuana segment of the population is very small. A lot of people just do this for fun. Does it lead to psychosis? The science says that marijuana use, even limited marijuana use, makes you more likely to have a psychotic break. There was a study that said that people who use cannabis at age 15 years old, so in high school, were more than four times as likely to develop schizophrenia as those who never used it. Four times as likely to develop schizophrenia. And maybe you're thinking, well, what about what if these people were already prone to schizophrenia? And you know, that that's a that's a confounding factor in this. Well, this study actually accounted for that. Um, accounting for kids who showed symptoms, psychotic symptoms by age 11, the risk of a psychotic break of schizophrenia in 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 high schoolers and teenagers who, who use marijuana remained three times higher if you use marijuana compared to those who didn't. This is really significant medical information and certainly not information that's being told to our children, not information that's being used as a factor when we decide whether marijuana should be legal. But these mass shooters, what's a commonality of these mass shooters? They're all marijuana users. They have significant pot usage in their background. They're stoners, detached from reality, this guy's friend said. Um, a, there was a 2016 paper that was published in the Australian and New Zealand Journal of Psychiatry that shows, and this is really this is really significant, that the gap between when people start smoking marijuana and when they have these psychotic breaks averages six years. So you start smoking pot, and on average, there's a six-year gap before you suffer these really serious repercussions. Now, why is this a big deal? It's a big deal because it, it, if these symptoms... This, this side effect or this manifestation, the psychotic manifestation doesn't, um, doesn't happen for this amount of time, then maybe you have not moderated your behavior, your intake of marijuana until it's too late. You've built up six years of this without any signs about what it's gonna do. And so how do you undo that once the psychotic break begins to happen? You can't because you've been, you've been using marijuana for six years. There is proven scientific evidence that use of marijuana leads to psychotic breaks. What was the phrase that this, that Bobby Cremo's friend used? Detached from reality. That's another word for a psychotic break. Now, violence, according to the Journal of American Psychiatry, they, they conducted a study about whether marijuana use is correlated to violence. And they found there's a moderate association between cannabis use and physical violence. And this, this moderate association, now when I say moderate association, that's a statistical term. That's not me saying, oh, it's, it's medium. No, no, a moderate association means that there's a significant correlation between the two behaviors, marijuana use and violence. And this moderate association remained significant um, even when the study took into account other other confounding factors, you know, socioeconomic factors or other substance abuse. Cannabis use is a risk factor for violence. Um, there was a study that was done in 6,000 British and Chinese men that found that drug use was linked to a five-fold increase in violence. And this is not just general drug use. The drug used in almost all of these men who were five times as likely to commit violence was cannabis. We ignore this. Why do we ignore this? That this not only causes psych psychosis, psychotic breaks, but 
is coupled with the, with proof that violence and marijuana use are very correlated. Very, very correlated. There was um, a study that was done on incarcerated individuals who had who were murderers. They had committed homicide. And it found that one third, 30% of these individuals had used marijuana 24 hours, within 24 hours of committing the murder that they committed. 30%. 30%. And um, teenagers who use marijuana, this was the most predictive indicator of their likelihood to commit violence against their um, their significant other. These are all scientific studies designed to study this, and the scientific community completely ignores this. They also say that marijuana is not an addictive drug. They say this, this, this isn't addictive. Well, the studies, the scientific studies show that 15% of people who try marijuana become addicted to it. 15%. That's about the same percentage as the number of people who become addicted to alcohol. And yet we simply ignore this. And then the marijuana lobby, the marijuana industry tells us, you know, it's not a gateway drug, that it has nothing to do with opioid, opioid use. It doesn't lead to harder drugs. Well, analyses and metadata, metadata studies show that this is not true. Studying this on a state-by-state basis, a study found that marijuana use overall showed a positive link, a moderately positive link, again, statistical language, with overall opiate deaths. deaths. Pot use was strongly correlated with the use of cocaine at a state-by-state level. And when pot use changed in the study, so did cocaine use. These are correlated. These are, these are very correlated. There was a 2018 paper published in the International Journal of Drug Policies that studied um, women, poor women in San Francisco, and found that those who used marijuana were more than twice as likely to use opioids as those who, who didn't. So we have psychosis. Marijuana leads to psychosis. And the, the, the length of time between the use of marijuana and when a psychotic break happens is, is such a long amount of time, or it can be, doesn't have to be, but it can be on average, that you can't moderate your behavior in order to moderate this, this response, this psychological response. It's too late by the time it happens. It leads to violence. It is a predictor of violence. It is addictive, and it does lead to opioid addiction, opioid abuse, and even death by opioid. And it is a factor that exists in nearly every mass shooting in the background of almost every mass shooter in this country. Use of marijuana. And yet, we're told by Kamala Harris to take this seriously. If she wants to take this seriously, then why is she ignoring this? Why are conservatives and Republicans afraid to talk about how dangerous marijuana is? This is what the science says. Studies show this. This is not just an opinion. This is not just a parent saying, oh, don't smoke pot. That'll scramble your your brains like eggs. This is science. Marijuana is a dangerous drug. And if we don't adjust our public policy to reflect this, if we don't if we don't recognize that not only broken families, but marijuana is a, is, a, is a factor that exists in the background of almost every one of these mass shooters, then we are leaving these vulnerable young men vulnerable to this evil. And when they are vulnerable to this evil, we are leaving our community members, our neighbors, our family, our friends, our children vulnerable to being the targets of this violence and this evil. We can't do that. We can't afford to let this go on, ignoring these factors that are predictive 
of these young men committing violence against our people. We have to put a stop to this. We have to be willing to acknowledge the problems, the problems that are the problems, even if we'd prefer that the problems be different problems. It doesn't have to be easy to talk about this. It doesn't have to be a popular topic. We have to acknowledge, we have to observe the reality, identify the reality, acknowledge the reality in order to address it and put a stop to this. And if we don't, then we won't. Over on uh, the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals today, I have an addendum, something I want to add to my show from yesterday. We talked about the story um, about the 10-year-old girl who was raped and became pregnant by her rapist. And the left is using this story right now to push abortion. There has been a, a development in this story that has actually brought into question the veracity of this story itself. And so I want to talk about, I want to unpack the red flags in that story to see, is this story even true or has this been entirely made up perhaps by a pro-abortion activist? So join us over on the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. It's lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is the Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.